The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 84 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. Tom Pager and Andy Bonetto have off tonight. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own and not that of my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I want to remind our listeners you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So we had a great response to last week's show with David Schwed. as uh, the founding director of the Cybersecurity Master's Program over at the Katz School of Science and Health at Yeshiva University. Everyone loves to talk blockchain, man. Everybody does. So people love to talk crypto, and that's exactly what we did last week. It was all going down. We spoke about the main attack vectors and the tactics that are used to compromise blockchain-based assets. And we had an interesting conversation about what it takes to secure cold transactions versus hot transactions. But we were just getting started there. I mean, Schwed gave us his expert opinion on what are the most underplayed and unaddressed security vulnerabilities in blockchain technology and, and whether or not we can have both security and convenience at the same time. This is the old debate between security and the user experience that continues to rage on even with emerging technologies um, that, that, that come out. So it was a great conversation because Tom Pageler, the Chief Security Officer of BitGo, and sometimes guest co-host of TS7 Radio was on the show with us. And David and Tom are breaking it down for you in a way that I don't think you hear anywhere else. So it was great. I mean, Schwed is extremely knowledgeable, extremely knowledgeable. This guy is wicked smart. He was a great guest. And he's, he, he knows all about the evolution and adoption of crypto, and he was able to explain it in a way I think people can understand. And I think there's a huge TF7 Radio audience out there for this kind of stuff. It seems that every, whenever we do something on blockchain or crypto, we get a spike in listenership. So we, we talked about a whole bunch of different things, um, if you missed it. There was issues around protecting an API keys, uh, multi-signature versus ERC-20, sharding versus MPC, and then we even got into the clown versus prem discussion, on-prem discussion that uh, everyone is dealing with right now, it seems, all over the place, especially in the large financial institutions. So we covered it all, and we unpacked it for you in one jam-packed blockchain episode of TF7 Radio. So if you missed last week's show, check it out when you get a chance on your favorite playback medium. That's Professor David Schwed, the founding director of the cybersecurity program at Yeshiva University. That's on last week's episode, episode number 83 of Task Force 7 Radio. 
Well, if you're listening to us live on Voice America right now, or maybe someone just sent you the link to this episode, you might be wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 radio episodes on playback. Just go to our new TF7 radio site at www.tf7radio.com and you'll hit the episode tab at the top of the homepage and you can find all the TF7 radio episodes at your fingertips. I mean, you can also search our guest library, which is very extensive. I think it's great. We got some of the, some of the best guests in the industry on our show, I think. And you can write comments and on the different news articles and topics that we're talking about, which is always a lot of fun, interact with the rest of the TF7 audience. And since we're on 11 different playback mediums now, people usually have their preference on which one they like. We've made it easier for you to find all the playback mediums that Task Force 7 is on. You just hit the subscribe button at the top of right of the homepage, and it'll take you right there. And most importantly, you can subscribe right to the show from the TF7 Radio website. So check us out, folks, www.tf7radio.com to hear any of the episodes at your convenience 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, whatever you do, don't forget to subscribe. We love it when you subscribe. So we're mixing it up again this week for you. We're keeping it real on the voice of cybersecurity. Uh, we got a lot going on here, man. We got, we're going to have an American hero on the show for you this week. Retired Chief Warrant Officer Ronald Mars is going to be on the show with us this evening. Mars is a 27-year veteran in the U.S. Navy with 22 years of that service as a Navy SEAL. Ron completed basic underwater demolition SEAL training in 1994 and subsequently was assigned to SEAL Team 2 in Virginia. In 2000, Ron screened for selection and training at SEAL Team 6 and successfully finished his initial counterterrorism training that same year. Following the events of 9-11, he immediately began de deployment preparations with the assault team in response to those who wished to harm us here in the United States. Ron's career as a professional SEAL operator includes 14 deployments performed over the next 10 years of combat service. This service contains experiences ranging from SEAL elements protecting Afghanistan President Hamid Karzai to direct participation in counterterrorism and hostage rescue operations. Ron has conducted hundreds, hundreds of combat missions, from helicopter assaults in Iraq and Afghanistan to high-altitude parachute insertions targeting terrorism networks. Ron's military decorations over this time include the Silver Star and six Bronze Stars, as well as receiving two Defense Meritorious Service Medals. So following retirement from active military service, Ron began expanding his academic knowledge by enrolling in George Mason University's MBA program, where he graduated as Student of the Year in 2018, and then Ron applied for his second master's degree in risk management with New York University's Stern School of Business and has recently completed those requirements for his expected graduation this month in May of 2019. Having gained great interest in the assessment and selection methods utilized by the world's best counterterrorism intelligence organizations, Ron founded Gethin Group, the Gethin Group, a strategic leadership and human capital risk assessment company in Virginia. Now, the Gethin Group applies assessment knowledge obtained from decades of the use in special operations and intelligence communities all of which began with the efforts of those who created the OSS during World War II. Gethin Group now staffs some of the best former special operations psychologists, national intelligence operational behavior science clinicians, and career tier one combat leaders. Their goal is to assess and develop people, creating environments of profound growth for their customers. They increase human performance potential, 
while reducing enterprise risk associated with aberrant behaviors. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome a true American hero to the show. Ron, thank you for your service to our country and welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Thank you very much, George. I appreciate being here. I'm really, really excited to have you on, man. I mean, this is an honor speaking with you. I'm glad that you can come on and take the time to uh, speak with us a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about your career? I mean, it's, it's fa obviously fascinating. Everybody wants to hear about your career and what you did and how you got there and, and some of the more, I guess, interesting uh, points in time during, uh, during your service. Sure, sure, absolutely. Uh, the, so, you know, career-wise, I entered the, entered the military, the Navy in 1989. Nothing was going on, per se, as... Uh, uh, as much as it was, you know, subsequent to the events of 9-11, of course, but, um, you know, I, I wanted to be part of a team and, and be kind of be part of an organization that just had a, uh, you know, a broader sense of, uh, you know, kind of a strategic vision for what the military stands for, of course. Uh, and, and that launched me into gaining interest in the, the SEAL community. And this was about 1993, 94, uh, when I applied for the, uh, the basic SEAL training in San Diego. Uh, went out there, accomplished that, went to my first SEAL team, SEAL Team 2 in Virginia Beach. And again, I was, you know, I was, you know, back immersed in the team environment. I was around some amazingly qualified folks, talented, dedicated, uh, resilient uh, SEALs that I absolutely admired over the years. And what I noticed was, is that the best guys were leaving, you know, they were leaving that organization to go to this other, you know, this mysterious uh, uh, counterterrorism unit that you know was back then not often talked about and you really didn't even know truly existed which I liked and, and it's that was one of the draws as well so when it came time for my next progression was in the special operations community in uh, 2000 I decided okay I want to go and be with the best guys I want to be around those who are truly dedicated uh, and who they believe in everything that the American flag stands for and, and, you know, serve with those folks who I know would uh, absolutely and positively never quit and they'll stand by you no matter what happens. Uh, so I applied for the selection and training uh, at uh, what, what is now, you know, often referred to more commonly in the news as uh, uh, team six and uh, finished that training in 2000. And then of course, nine 11 happened. Um, and once 9-11 occurred, uh, you know, that launched all of us at, at that particular unit and, you know, some uh, uh, partners of ours in, in the Army into a very long, uh, lengthy, and obviously, you know, something that continues on today of, you know, combating those who have desired to do not only us harm, but for, you know, what the Western, basically Western civilization stands for and the freedoms that we enjoy. So uh, I dedicated the next... 10 years of my life to, um, you know, going after those types of folks that uh, sought to, to bring down what all of us so you know, wholeheartedly believe in here in the United States. You know, you talk about this, like, you know, like anybody could just decide to go do this and, you know, <laughs> and just join the teams and serve their country. But this is, these are elite units that you're talking about. This is this, only the best of the best right. uh, get to join these units. And so, uh, you're very humble when you speak, Ron, about some of your accomplishments and what you have done, which which are truly amazing. But how how did you become interested in leadership and assessing people for risk? How did that all come about from your service? 
Well, it's, it's, it, it is interesting. What happens is, is that when you, uh, when you join these organizations that are, they're highly selective, the people are uh, intentionally trained. Uh, they're, again, very talented folks, you know, whether you're talking about the U.S. Navy's counterterrorism organization, the Army's, you're talking about the uh, U.K.'s SAS, SBS, uh, Australian SAS, all these folks that I've had the experience of working closely with over the years, is you realize that there is, um, not only is there a need to, to assess and select people in the appropriate way, um, but there's a reason, there's a method to the madness of you know, getting people in organizations to be truly effective, to really believe in the brand. And, and if you don't believe in the brand, then uh, you know, catastrophe can, can obviously present itself. And, and the, the organizations are, they're proactive on reducing risk and, uh, in, instead of being reactive. And, and you know, a lot of times what I, what I saw was uh, organizations that didn't take it seriously, they didn't take assessing and selecting seriously, whether it's military, private sector, it doesn't, it doesn't matter because people are people. <clears throat> if you don't take that seriously, then you're going to be reactive, which means that the, the bubble has already come to the surface. The person that is, that is going to do bad things has already done them by the time you're catching it. And now you're just, you're just trying to reduce your downside risk, which a lot of times is, it's too late. So it's interesting that you mentioned military and civilian organizations uh, having difficulties or maybe making mistakes when selecting people, especially in leadership positions. Right. So what about your, what about your personal combat experiences? Does anything stand out that truly made you appreciate how organizations in the military uh, select their people? And there's, yeah, there's, and there's so many, of course, and you, uh, you know, when you, when you go through training, you start on this long road of you know, continuous preparation. You're, you're, you're always in a training cycle. You're always preparing for, um, you know, you know, something to, uh, to counter for, especially for us and in my personal background where I spent most of my military career in the uh, counterterrorism hostage, hostage rescue world. So, uh, you know, there's a number of examples. I've, I've conducted hundreds of operations in Afghanistan and, and Iraq and, and, you know, multiple other places uh, across the, you know, that, that region of the world. And, you know, there's many times that after 9-11 that you realize that the selection and the assessment methods, they, they really truly work. You know, the people that are standing next to you, they really believe in what they're doing. And, you know, this, you know, I, I think back to 2004, uh, the first time that I encountered a, a, a barricaded shooter, if you will, um, in Afghanistan. And this is, you know, our, our tactics at that time, we were, we were refining them. And, and, you know, from 2001 forward, we started to become better and better uh, at dealing with those type of situations. And in, in 2004, I found myself, you know, firsthand being experienced to something uh, that was very difficult, very stressful, uh, but it required, you know, the person next to you to be right there with you. And, uh, you know, I remember, you know, entering this, this small, this small room and not thinking that the, this individual who we knew was somewhere in the area was going to be barricaded in this, in this particular room, but he was, uh, you know, so I, I entered the room and, and this is my, uh, what a lot of my, uh, friends call my, my Pulp Fiction moment, if you will. Um, you know, this individual's shooting at me and I'm shooting at him and, um, 
and lo and behold, you know, I look over and, and there's my buddy right next to me. And uh, that was eye opening for me because when you, when that situation's over, when the stressful environment is, is, is over and your, um, your, your stress hormones return normally, you realize that, you know, wow, this was a, uh, this was a, a remarkable experience. And the fact that somebody is, you know, that I didn't grow up with, I didn't know him for years. I didn't know him for, for, you know, for, for decades. I'd known him for a few years, but he risked everything that he had to uh, stand right beside me as, as he was trained to do and assessed and selected to do. And he did it. And, you know, that is one of the, uh, one of the things I've emphasized to people over the years is I've uh, led the selection and training department. Um, Examples exactly like that is that you have to trust and believe in the system because it does work. So thinking about that and thinking about the selection of people into a specific organization, many different organizations, whether it be military or civilian or otherwise, how does an organization really create an effective culture by, uh, by human capital selection? How does that work? Yeah, that, that, that's uh, interesting. So the, you know, the one thing that, that you'll see uh, people that have seen, you know, studied culture like in organizations where there was a truly effective culture is they know that the culture, is, uh, it has to be intentional. Uh, if it's not intentional, uh, then it's mo- more than likely it's going to, you're obviously going to cause, uh, you know, potentially, you know, grave harm to the organization um, on a cultural standpoint. And my, you know, the last three years in business school, I've, I've had the opportunity to, you know, study case, you know, case study after case study about businesses and about organizations uh, that have had, you know, cultural shortfalls. And, you know, these became highlighted most recently, I guess, probably 2011 in the subprime you know, mortgage crisis, where, you know, people were doing things for, uh, you know, for personal gain, and, and they had no real, real care about the downside risk of it. And uh, that establishes, that establishes a culture, the culture is based on what the organization rewards and what it punishes. Um, and if you, if you don't in place a proper reward system, if you don't punish what is, what is considered improper or unethical, then it becomes systemic, you know, and, and that's exactly, I think, what, what a lot of organizations have seen. Uh, they don't address it soon. Uh, they'll address it one day, and, and one day it might, might cost you, you know, billions of dollars. So all this fascinating experience that you have, and obviously you have an interest in, in the selection of, of, of human capital for certain organizations. What have you been doing since you retired from active duty in 2016? So 2016, uh, I, I had the opportunity to think about, uh, you know, as a, as a special operations guy, you know, you, you've kind of got really a couple different directions you can go in. So you can continue on and, you know, go into the paramilitary environment, uh, contracting and continue to do that type of work. Or, you know, like the way I was, I'd been doing it for so long. Uh, that I was I was ready to kind of turn my attention towards something else and to take what I had learned in the uh, in the special operations communities and try to turn it into something that could help uh, other organizations, other leaders, and uh, and people in general how to be more effective, how to be more resilient, and how to be you know better top performers. And uh, so with that, I decided to go uh, pursue my MBA uh, in in Arlington, Virginia. I finished that. Uh, after two years, and then I decided to to continue with the education because I really in, just enjoyed it. I mean, the, the education was, uh, the education system being involved in academics was 
was fantastic. It's a, it's, you leave one team environment uh, and you kind of go to the next because uh, you're with a, you know, cohort and you know, classmates and these, these types of things. It's very rewarding. It was very rewarding to me. Uh, continued on to New York University to the Stern, uh, Stern School of Business, where I've been the last year uh, engaged in their uh, master's in risk management uh, program, which I uh, graduate in actually two weeks. Well, congratulations on your, all your success. This sets us up really good to talk about the Gethin Group and what you do in, in terms of behavioral risk and coaching and, and personnel selection the things associated with human capital risk. I, I really want to get into a deep dive with this with you because this is a really big topic in information security, right. uh, especially because I think, you know, in some respects, there's been a lot of difficulty retaining uh, information security professionals, especially at high levels. And uh, you have to wonder why and what the reason is for that. So anyway, we're going to get into a really good discussion about that. But right now we got to transition to a commercial break. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be immediately connected to the extended TF7 family and all your favorite social media platforms. So for any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7, that's with the number 7, radio.com. I want to remind all our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together. I promise you, Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to take a pause for a few minutes, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, a true American hero, retired Navy SEAL, and founder of the Gethin Group, Mr. Ron Mars. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. The rules of enterprise security have changed. Your employees work remotely. Their devices access corporate data in the cloud. Phishing and other threats are intensifying. Traditional perimeter-based security is no longer enough to keep your enterprise safe. You need a new approach that protects your organization from the outside in. Lookout Post Perimeter Security enables protection at the endpoint and establishes continuous conditional access to data based on risk so you can protect your mobile workforce against phishing and other new world threats. Now you can secure the post-perimeter world. Visit lookout.com forward slash task force seven 
to learn more today. Recorded Future helps security teams make more confident decisions faster. Recorded Future's technology automates broad collection and analysis of cyber threat data and delivers the rich external context you need to understand alerts and emerging threats. With real-time threat intelligence from Recorded Future, security teams respond to threats 63% faster and find undetected threats 10 times quicker. Recorded Future integrates with the security products you already use, making the intelligence you need accessible and relevant. Use it to improve your security operations, incident response, vulnerability management, and more. If you're facing challenges like the cybersecurity skill shortage or more alerts than your team can handle, consider Recorded Future Threat Intelligence. Learn more at recordedfuture.com forward slash task force seven. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, retired Navy SEAL and founder of the Gethin Group, Mr. Ron Marr. So, Ron, can you talk a little bit about the team in Gethin Group? And I just want to get an intro to, to the team that works there and sort of set the stage for the discussion that we're going to have. For sure, for sure. So, uh, uh, in, uh, in talking about human capital risk, you know, one of the things that interested me uh, was the, you know, the way this process kind of happened for me personally was, you know, in, in special operations, you learn a lot about uh, where you where you came from and uh, why it is systems are in place that are that are effective and and you kind of you, you know you, you have a uh, you know, a passion to kind of find out more about it and and who started these systems and, and why did they start them and this goes back to uh, the the founding of the OSS and during World War II when assessment and selection 
subsequent to the attacks on Pearl Harbor, started for the OSS because they were trying to build an intelligence and a paramilitary section that could actively uh, conduct, you know, some of the most sensitive and denied area operations that, you know, to date that it, that it had ever been done at that point. And what was unique about it is that they started assessment centers. And these assessment centers, they assessed people on cognitive ability, on emotional intelligence, uh, you know, on, on their strengths and vulnerabilities and these, these types of things. And the, the, the purpose was to place the people that were, you know, best suited for the positions and the positions. And it was not so much to select those that were, that were best fit, but it was really designed to, to deselect those who were truly unfit. And that process then, you know, you know, morphed and was advanced and improved upon over the years and, and became some of the founding principles for special operations. And then, and then the private sector adopted, uh, you know, some of these principles as well. But, but basically, we, we owe it all to those, uh, those, those founders in the OSS that this started this whole thing for the United States. And uh, my, my interest started, you know, gaining when I, when I was looking at instances like, uh, you know, numerous, numerous, obviously, banking examples. Uh, you know, you, you look at the professional sports environment where you've got a, uh, you know, you know, high paid, very high paid individual that does something off the field that severely tarnishes reputation, um, brand integrity, these types of things. Those things are all factors. And, and I looked at the, the company standpoint of, okay, well, what can we do? What can we do as a, as a company uh, to select some psychologists some special operations leaders to kind of recreate and offer a uh, system to clients where we can assess and select people to help firms reduce enterprise risks as it's associated with human capital uh, and the Gethin group team is basically comprised of about we have about a dozen psychologists all of the psychologists are from either special operations backgrounds, uh, national intelligence background. Uh, these are the best behavioral science people at determining who presents the most risk to an organization. Uh, they are experts. They've been doing it for years. These are career folks. And the special operations leaders that uh, we've placed within Gutha Group are the best special operations leaders that are available. These are people that have spent 25 plus years in special operations, the majority of which has been in, in tier one organizations. They're the most, uh, the combat proven leaders that, that you, can, you can come up with. And uh, what that does is it creates a team of, uh, a team of professionals between the special operations leaders and the psychologists that work together to provide in a, both an intuitive based and a scientific base for uh, assessing and not only selecting people, but developing them and providing people with insight and a means to, uh, you know, avoid some potential blind spots that they have. And it also helps companies to put people in the best position uh, who might be either high risk or they're, they're in positions where they're, these are trusted and sensitive positions, whether they're responsible for information or sensitive data, uh, that if it is disclosed, it, it will bring down the firm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of blind spots in information security, you know, to your point. And when we talk about cybersecurity and the importance, and a lot of times you have people with, you know, security clearances, they handle obviously sensitive information, mm -hmm. and they, they deal with some of the biggest risks that an organization 
uh, has. Uh, these risks are a material risk that have a high probability of happening and a huge consequence if they do. And so you created this team uh, that specializes in behavioral risk and coaching. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about the assessment of human capital, right? And the risk, the, the risk associated with those assessments. And so, it's right. Right? Right. so what does this tell people about an organization that invests in protecting its reputation and interests? So that's, that is an interesting topic. And what it does is it, it's, uh, it provides a natural uh, uh, entry barrier to the organization to kind of keep out those who might otherwise be, uh, you know, more susceptible to uh, aberrant behavior or doing things that are, you know, derived out of, you know, true malfeasance. So, you know, it's, it's much like the special operations environment, national intelligence environments, uh, you know, these, these sorts of uh, sectors in the, in the government where if people know that there's a barrier to entry where they have to, they have to be tested, they have to do comparative uh, uh, behavioral science interviews, they're going to be assessed, uh, and basically you're going to find out everything you, you need to know about this person. And, and a lot of people don't, they don't want to do that. And, uh, or they know that they've done things or maybe they're susceptible to, uh, to doing things that might otherwise be perceived as unethical. Uh, How many organizations want to do that though too? Yes, exactly. Exactly. So what's been your experience with that? Uh, Yeah. So, you know, the, like with us, when, when we select our people, if you don't, uh, all of our people have already been selected. That's that's the beauty of it. They've already been selected. They've already been assessed. So they come in with the insight. You know, when I remember when I was assessed, uh, when I was at SEAL Team 2, I thought I had been assessed. You know, here I was. I was a, I was a SEAL in the Navy. I was relatively junior. This is, you know, 1995 to 2000. And if you would have asked me back then if I had been assessed as, you know, a special operations uh, uh, person at the time, I would tell you absolutely you know, that I was absolutely assessed. I'd been to buds, I'd been to all these things, but I, but you don't know what you don't know. So, you know, I didn't know that there was a, a, a much better, more robust system out there until I was, went through the selection to go to the counterterrorism organization. And when you go through a process like that, um, it's very insightful. And, and, you know, you find out real quickly that you, you may suck at some things and that's okay. Uh, you know, but what that does is it, it arms you with, uh, some significant data that if I know that I'm not good at these certain areas, or if I've got some blind sides, um, that I can mitigate those by being around people who don't possess them. You know, I can, I can then create a more effective team by, you know, bringing and being around people who are, they have different strengths and different vulnerabilities. And that's kind of the, basically the nexus of why the special operations teams are so successful. So, you know, I think, you know, we often talk about, you know, uh, life in the government compared to life in, in the public sector or, or the private sector. And it's a little bit different. You, you, you might be in a position on a variety of different jobs, especially in the military and, and particularly in, in, with your experience, where some of the decisions that you make are life and death, right? They're life and death decisions that you're making and they could affect people's lives. People could get hurt if you make the wrong decision. Um, it, it's not so much... Uh, at a Fortune 500 company, <laughs> you know, right, so right, most of the right. time, most of the time, right? Obviously, uh, the overwhelming majority of the time, nobody's life is on the line uh, uh, there. And so this, this, but, but still, you know, so it's a different level of assessment that I think that has to happen. But you've had, you've been in some really, really serious situations. What kind of problems have you seen among, your, among people 
and personnel that have been selected to, to be uh, working on your teams during some of these special operations uh, uh, exercises that you have in your career? And, you know, how have you learned to better screen for these people because of what you've seen in your experiences with them? Right. So one of the most, probably one of the most effective things that we've done that, and that we recommend for, for firms to do is to, um, you know, so they have to, they have to kind of keep track and catalog what it is that makes leaders most effective in their particular organization. So, and that's one of the things that our, our psychologists work, uh, do really well with, with, uh, with potential clients is by identifying what it is the, you know, doing a, a thorough job analysis of what does a, an effective leader in this particular organization, uh, what traits do they need to have and what traits do we, do we need to really be, uh, to really be sensitive about if we're, if we're going to start looking at, you know, truly determining those who are unfit. And, you know, you're looking for people who are, uh, you're looking for signs of immodesty and, and, you know, signs of resentment and uh, determining their level of insight that they have. Uh, you know, you're also going to take a, you know, we, we want to see if there's folks that have uh, different social affinities and, and cognitive abilities. And, and we, we bundle all those together and, and we, we, we assess the aberrant behaviors and then, you know, we learn from those very quickly and we say, uh, because it's, it's like the cultural, uh, it's like instituting and uh, nurturing a, a culture. If you don't continuously nurture that, and if you don't continuously uh, reinforce it as a leader, um, then eventually it's, you're going to have some shortfalls. Uh, and the shortfalls are where you, you really pay, pay the price for, for those. So thinking about this in terms of the private sector now, how does this assessment and selection of special operations leaders translate to the private sector? So the, the private sector is, you know, in, in a lot of these, you know, every single case study that I'd, uh, that I'd analyzed and, and uh, you know, studied over the last uh, three, three years, every one of them uh, that has a firm that experienced uh, some kind of uh, human capital aberrant behavior that, it, that resulted in a, and a substantial downside, uh, downside event for the, for the organization. It, you know, I would say that you could look back at all these and say that there was some type of behavioral drift that occurred, uh, with the individual, uh, but they never caught it because they never caught it because they didn't assess the people to begin with and they didn't have a baseline. Um, now these firms, they also have people who are much like special operations. These people are in high trust positions. So whether you're, you know, for my organization, a high trust position is somebody that's, you know, obviously potentially participating in a, in a hostage rescue mission that, you know, that it, it can't, it cannot fail, obviously, if it fails and it's a disaster, um, you know, so, you know, technology companies, uh, banking institutions, uh, information security, uh, cybersecurity, all these things, these are, you're talking about people that are in high trust positions. Um, where you have to know and understand the employees and you have to know what the strengths and the vulnerabilities are that they come with um, so that you can do some intentional risk management decisions uh, in, in de additional development to make sure that they are performing at not only a top level, but they understand their own vulnerabilities uh, by giving them a little bit of insight and coaching. So that's interesting. You, you, you sort of just made a transition into you know, performance from the actual selection and I guess disqualification of somebody who might have, uh, you know, a bad background or might have something to hide 
So I kind of see there's two different aspects of this, maybe even three. But so say there's there's the selection of people that come in. Obviously, my drill instructors used to always tell me there's 10% who don't belong. There was always 10% of the organization who don't belong in the organization. Yeah. They're doing bad things and things like that. You know, obviously you want to eliminate those 10% before they even get in. That would be a you know an optimal uh, thing to do. But then there's also performance. Mm-hmm. You know, and you just mentioned performance, and there's predictability on performance. So there's a couple of things in cybersecurity that we're struggling with right now. And we're trying to get new people into the, into the industry and we have to cross train them with new skills. People, you know, I, I, I can't get over these, these managers out there who won't select someone who doesn't have all the experience and everything exactly the way they need and speaks exactly like they do. You know, I mean, they, they're not willing to invest the time to take someone from a, an adjacent industry and train them and to do some of the things that they need them to do in the cybersecurity space in their organization. So for instance, we have like 12 different domains in cybersecurity. I would, I would, I would submit to you that in those 12 domains, we have many different uh, skill sets that are needed in those in domains. For instance, if you have someone who does intelligence as opposed to a SOC analyst, as someone who does SSDLC, they all have, they all have different, uh, you know, skills that are needed to perform those positions. So when you assess people to identify their strengths and potential vulnerabilities, do you also use the information as a predictive tool for performance and placement, which is really two different things, so the performance in a specific job and the placement in a job where they, where they might be you know, more suited? Absolutely, yeah. And that's, that's the, you know, the, the basis of you know, when, when you're selected, assessed and selected to come into these special operations units, that's exactly what's done, uh, you know, having been a part of that that uh, overall system later in my career uh, as, I, as I became more senior is, you know, this, the assessment selection system in, in its really development um, is you look at a person, you know, it's, it's, it's holistic and, you know, you, you want to get a sense of who the person is and what their strengths are because you really want to leverage those strengths and you want to, you want to take, uh, you know, the good people and you want to make them great. And you, you, you can't do that unless you know what you're dealing with. Um, and you know, the, the system that we offer enables, uh, firms to, to look at their people and say, okay, this individual is they're, they're, they have what it takes to be great at probably these core skills, uh, that are required for this, you know, job A, B, C, or D. Um, but they also possess some, some vulnerabilities that, you know, maybe they are not suited for. Uh, something that has a, a large amount of, you know, sensitive data access uh, or, 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 or something similar. And, you know, so what we can do is working with the psychologists and, the, and the, the, our executive coaches is take those people and refine them and, and make them aware. You know, I'd say 90% of this is awareness. So if you're aware that, you know, you have some potential vulnerabilities, then you can then, you know, as an individual, you know, mitigate these things. And, and more importantly, you can, if you see them coming, uh, you can you can mitigate them. You know whether uh, you know, an individual might have something going on at home, or they might have you know some significant credit debt, or something that's causing them to you know be uh, have a, a greater exposure to aberrant behavior. Well, we we head that off, and it's it's again it's it's a proactive system, uh, and there's no better way to manage the human capital risk than to be proactive. Uh, because if you're reactive, then you, 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 all you're doing is just you're trying to cover the tracks of uh, whatever potential, you know, monetary reputational losses you're going to experience if, if and when something does go wrong. Yeah, I, again, that's probably 
you know, you're all talking about risk, right? The risk associated with the selection of a certain human being to do, to perform a certain function. And I think, you know, I really, I, you know, when I hear you talk, I think there's three different areas in cybersecurity. There's obviously the selection, well, actually the elimination of the insider threat coming into an organization, right? Then there's the, the selection of the best person for the job out of a group of people. And then, of course, there's the uh, placement uh, factor in all this, where you say mass amounts of people that we need to move into different, different verticals of cybersecurity to see where they would be best fit and have the best chance of success to add to the value of an organization. So there's lots of value in this. There's tons and tons of value in what you're doing. And I think it's really, really important. But let's talk a little bit about, you know, not people who aren't perfect, because let's face it, no one's perfect, right? That's right. That's right? No one's perfect, right? You got a lot of people out there with vulnerabilities uh, and trying to get certain positions. And I don't know, people get, and you said earlier, you know, people don't want to submit to these tests. First of all, I think there's a trust factor. There's a trust factor in, okay, is this test going to really assess my ability to really do this, you know, position or, you know, do the, the functions of this position? Um, perform well in the capacity that I'm expected to. And then, and then really, when you're talking about from the organizational standpoint, can you really work with people who have a lot of vulnerabilities? I mean, how do they get past what might be perceived, perceived, and I don't want to stress that, perceived as character flaws? Right, right. So, and that's, you know, it, with, with the organization where obviously I spent my career, most of my career, so what's most effective is to take, to look at the traits, um, that the organization either thinks that it needs their leaders to have to be truly successful and to have those uh, compared against what our psychologists think the traits are. Because sometimes what, what an organization believes might be the best, uh, you know, the, the best fit. Um, that, that may not be exactly the way our professionals look at it because obviously they have the experience, you know, they, they're the ones that have, uh, that have assessed people and they've looked at them over time and been able to tell, you know, okay, what are the markers of, what are the markers of success, but also what are the markers of potential failure? Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a very remarkable, remarkable. It's an insightful system. I remember when I, uh, you know, when I, when I screened again to, to, to go to six and, and you know, here I was taking these tests. And if, if when you when you do this this system, when you take the test, if you approach it as like a job interview, well, you know, then you're not being honest to yourself. You know, you're uh, not only you're not being honest to yourself, but the psychologist can tell. So you know, again, it goes back to you 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 kind of think you're smarter than everybody else, but then you realize that you're absolutely not. Uh, and and that's good. That was good to learn. I'm glad I learned that earlier than than, than later. Uh, so you, you take these tests, you, 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 you approach it honestly, you approach it as a means of development. You know, they're not, you don't take uh, standardized tests. You don't do comparative psychology, uh, psychologist interviews in order to, in order to find chinks in your armor. That's, that's not the, it's not the basis of it. The basis of it is to make you more effective. Um, and when you understand uh, behavioral science and the systems and how to make people effective, uh, what that does is it makes you a better leader because now you can, you can pick and choose people for specific teams that have a specific purpose 
and they're they're much more effective. And you can take people that uh, you understand someone's shortfalls, someone's vulnerabilities, like you're saying, and and you focus on those, and you and you help that person mitigate them, and you and you help them realize them, and and, and turn them into uh, turn them into a positive attribute. And that's that's absolutely possible over time. It's just dependent on. The, the proactive leadership that's involved in it. Uh, but if, if you care about the people enough, you can you can absolutely create a a, a, a very high performance team that functions in you know, high stakes situations. So, how much does politics play into this? Because I know you talked about how some organizations really don't even know what attributes they should be looking for in certain positions. Sure. How do you choose and select the attributes for each particular position, and then how do you give feedback to the organization itself? In terms of the way they're approaching their 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 human capital selection, yeah, it's uh, it's a uh, you have to you have to be honest. You know, that's the one the one thing that I've enjoyed about uh, <laughs> being in the special operations environment is yeah. is honesty. And and sometimes you're going to hear things you don't want to hear. And and sometimes I was told things I didn't want to hear. Uh, you know, it's uh, but those are those are powerful and and they're they're powerful in the sense that they create people who are you know wholeheartedly dedicated to the brand and to the organization because they realize that uh, the organization is investing in them. You know, I realized uh, immediately that the organization was investing in me. It cared enough about me to, uh, to see if I was the, the right person, the right fit, uh, if I possessed the right, you know, cultural attitudes. Um, and that meant something to me. And it meant me, it, it, it made me, you know, more dedicated and more committed to the organization. And that's what it does. And if, if you if you bring people in to an organization, you don't, you don't focus on them. You don't focus on making them better holistically. You know, then they're they're going to think that well, at five o'clock when I leave, you know, then it's you know you know the I don't live my job after five o'clock. Whereas when I left my job in special operations, that was my life, and and I absolutely believed in it. And and we enjoy creating teams of people who. Uh, uh, who who are just you know undoubtedly dedicated to their brand. I don't care what the brand is. It doesn't it doesn't have to be special operations. But there's a lot of power in being around people who truly believe in what they're doing. So how do you overcome the the, the issue of the person taking the assessment, you know, going through the assessment process, and then actually taking the feedback to build upon it when they're when they're trying to get a job? Is the time to do the assessment when the person's trying to get a job, or is it we're in a more relaxed atmosphere? They're more secure in their space, and they're getting an assessment on how they can improve themselves, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so, so this, yeah, yeah, how exactly. does that work? Exactly. So, the, it, a, a couple different different uh, approaches, obviously. So, if you're talking about taking a look at people prior to coming into the organization, now you're looking at you're looking at kind of a, you know like the, the broad vulner, vulnerability traits um, and what the organization is potentially looking for. And, and a lot of big organizations now use those things. So, you know, if people go on online and they and they apply for a job with, uh, you know, Amazon or obviously these big, um, these uh, high-value corporations. They're going to have to take some type of, more than likely now, some type of assessment. You know, some type of quick kind of behavioral assessment. Uh, you know, to, to try to try to get a baseline for what the what the person's vulnerabilities are, how they are socially. Uh, but it's very small. It's it's you know these these things are done in you know, 15 or 20 minutes. So they don't, you know, do they really capture uh, who the person is? You know, our, our psychologists would argue that they, obviously they, they, they of course don't. Um, but 
So, you know, the, the basis of the, of the, of the systems in, in, in helping people uh, in the two different contexts of hiring versus promotion, you want to baseline people. And that was the, that's the beauty of, of detecting, you know, behavioral drift, you know, before it occurs. If you don't know who the person is initially, then, then you're never going to, right? So you don't have anything to look back on. Uh, if we didn't in, uh, assess and, and uh, you know, dive into people as much as we do in special operations, then if, you know, 10 years down the road, if something happens, we have nothing to reference. Um, and the, the development system for people that are already in organizations, uh, that's a very, very powerful tool. Because now you're, you, know the, you, you know the individual, you know more than likely what they're capable of, but now you're looking for someone to be, say, a you know, senior vice president or someone that you're going to grant access to. Uh, you're going to give them a lot of access to sensitive, sensitive data. Uh, you're going to give them you know, the power to, to place uh, you know, massive uh, financial trades, these types of things. So you want to know if, uh, if there's any risk exposure to potential unethical decision making. This is really interesting stuff, Ron. We've got to take another break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away. We'll be right back with more from our special guest, retired Navy SEAL and founder of the Gethin Group, Mr. Ron Mars. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Recorded Future helps security teams make more confident decisions faster. Recorded Future's technology automates broad collection and analysis of cyber threat data and delivers the rich external context you need to understand alerts and emerging threats. With real-time threat intelligence from Recorded Future, security teams respond to threats 63% faster and find undetected threats 10 times quicker. Recorded Future integrates with the security products you already use, making the intelligence you need accessible and relevant. Use it to improve your security operations, incident response, vulnerability management, and more. If you're facing challenges like the cybersecurity skills shortage or more alerts than your team can handle, consider Recorded Future Threat Intelligence. Learn more at recordedfuture.com forward slash task force seven. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., 
Cynet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Cynet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Cynet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Cynet, S-I-N-E-T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio with a voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, retired Navy SEAL and founder of the Gethin Group, Mr. Ron Mars. So, Ron, where do you see your services best suited, right, for, and there's a whole bunch of different careers out there, different fields and different industries. I think this is a huge opportunity in in the cybersecurity space. Which type of fields are you targeting for your business? As a a behavioral science uh, background, you know, with, with the psychologists and the staff that we have on board, they, it's, they're dealing with people. When you deal with people, uh, people don't change, right? So whether you're talking about people in special operations or you're talking about people in, in finance or professional sports or cybersecurity, uh, people will, you know, possess the, the same personality traits. Uh, they'll have the same, uh, you know, personality factors that uh, might, might either help them be successful or help them, you know, you know potentially you know, cause issues within, within an organization. But we, we enjoy working with organizations that uh, have people that they trust the most, uh, but they want to ensure that, uh, you know, they're, they're putting them in the correct position with the correct amount of access uh, when, it's, when they are ready, you know, specifically when they're ready. And not everybody is ready for that when, when they come into organizations. And that's why if you look at the, the, the basis of, uh, you know, compartmentalizing information, if you will. You know, that's a, that's a perfect example. You know, when you, when you come into an organization in special operations, you don't, you don't know everything that's going on uh, because, you know, number one, you don't need to. And number two, more than likely, you're probably not ready. Uh, so, you know, as, as time progresses, as you gain leadership positions, as you mature, uh, as your perspective uh, is, is in- increased, and you've demonstrated yourself uh, through strengths and through the ability to mitigate your own vulnerabilities, then, you know, the doors start to open, you know, then the, the accesses start to, start to, uh, start to take shape. And that's the same way that organizations obviously, obviously do it as well. Uh, But if you're not checking up on the people, if you're not truly investing in, in the human capital that you're, that you're granting those accesses to, then, uh, of course, you know, it goes back to what we said in the first part, which is you don't know what you don't know. 
You know, so you're putting people into positions that, that either they're not suited for, or maybe they're just not right for them. You know, and you, and you kind of set people up for, you know, you set people up for failure because you're putting them in a position that exposes them uh, to risk uh, on, on the, on the sense of their own vulnerabilities. And, and, and I've seen that, you know, happen, you know, over the years in, in special operations. And I, uh, I used to always try to take, uh, take folks and put them in positions that I thought they would excel at. Uh, that's what's truly the most rewarding thing to do in, a, in a, from a leadership perspective is, you know, take the folks that are good at certain things and put them there, you know, set them up for success. And if you don't think they're going to be successful in a, in a given environment, then don't expose them to it. You know, because you number one, you can hurt the organization. Number two, that person may never be a high performer because of what, what occurred. So, you know, I'm, I'm interested to know, I'm very curious, what kind of feedback are you getting from businesses? I mean, how does this mesh with what you're hearing now from your target market? Oh, yeah. Well, if we've, we have a lot of interest. I mean, you know, obviously the people that, uh, we've, that we've spoken to about it, the businesses that we've approached, uh, pitched, we, we're, they're, they're very, very interested in it, you know, of course. And uh, we've, we currently have a, an ongoing work relationship with, with Booz Allen Hamilton that we're, that we're pretty proud of. So we went through, uh, you know, we went through a, uh, you know, job analysis uh, pitch with those folks and, and created a product for them that is designed around, uh, you know, human performance coaching and building resiliency in some of their, you know, some of their sensitive, you know, information sensitive teams that they have. Uh, and it's primarily for managing, you know, human risk factors. So, you know, what, what our psychologists do with, with Booz Allen is that they, uh, they work to, you know, provide that firm with, you know, well-adjusted and stress-resilient people so that they can make better decisions for the organization. And that's rewarding. You know, that's, it's, it's very nice to see, uh, you know, doctors go in, obviously, special operations leaders and, and, and have an impact on resiliency, have an impact on performance, have an impact on uh, allegiance to brand uh, that protects the reputation of the firm, but it also makes people happier. Right. So uh, and when you have happy people in an organization, guess what? The organization becomes more <laughs> becomes more successful. Right. Uh, if people are not happy and if they don't think people are, are focused on them as an individual, then there, there isn't there isn't as much satisfaction. And that's a that's a detriment to the goes back to the things that are a detriment to uh, a, a firm's culture. So it's really important for the firm to take some type of really real affirmative action and in helping those employees develop where they have opportunities after the assessment, because if they don't, then, you know, then the, the, the perception of the assessment from the employees could go downhill really quick. It's really imperative upon the employer to make sure that they have a whole follow-up process. Do you help the, uh, the firms do that too, or, 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 or is that on them after the assessment? No. So, so we're, you know, like, like in the special operations environment, we don't, I, I'm personally not a fan of, you know, I've, I've been, we've had consultants come in, you know, previously in our organization and work with, uh, work with us on certain things. And, and one of the things that I, that I have disliked over the years is when, you know, we bring folks in to, to look at specific things or try to help us and then they give us their feedback and then they leave. Right. So, uh, 
I'm more of a relationship-based person. And that's what I, you know, we've designed the firm against is to, 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 you know, have a collaborative process with a, with an organization that's sustaining over time. So you don't, you know, you can, we could easily go in and provide feedback, you know, on, you know, some, uh, on their people and then, and then leave. But the true value in the product is providing the feedback and then doing something with it. Uh, you know, no doubt, no doubt. Right. Having that longstanding relationship with the firm where you can continue to add value and help them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Creating feedback systems where people become truly effective. I mean, I, I speak to people, to folks now that I know that I work with, um, you know, seal operators over the, over the years that I've, that I've had, you know, working for me at one time or another. And, uh, you know, they were moving up the, up the, you know, up the leadership ladder and, and, you know, now here I am, I've been retired for, for three years and, and these kind of, you know, I'm looking at, looking at it uh, from a different perspective, but I see these folks and I see that, you know, the, the, the people that we took the time to develop and the people that we took the time to, uh, you know, to put them on a path for success, that they are leaders now. And that's, the, that is the most rewarding thing that, that you can, that you can possibly get out of the system uh, is to look at people, uh, as time progresses and say, Hey, they are, they are the leaders that we, you know, enabled them to be through effective measures of, you know, raising their strengths and also, you know, providing them some insight again on those, on those vulnerabilities. So Ron, I think when I think about Booz Allen Hamilton, I I think that's like an obvious choice for some of the services that you provide. What other types of companies do you work with? So we have we've done a, a leadership seminar for a company called uh, uh, Intermap Technologies. We did a, uh, some services for them. Uh, we did some uh, leadership preparation things for uh, Variant Perception in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, and then obviously the the Booz Allen project get consumes uh, the bulk of what we're involved in right now, uh, and, and we're primarily looking at uh, you know s- business sectors where uh, where there's a lot of risk exposure, where we can make the biggest difference. Uh, it, you know, we don't, we, we, tra- we tell people that, you know, who've, who've inquired and asked this question is that, you know, can you, from a special operations standpoint, can we afford not to assess and develop people properly? And the, the, really the statement that follows that up with is, can you afford not to? Uh, and, yeah. You know, right. that's that's really the biggest point that I could I could speak about is that if you want to truly invest in your people, uh, you know, this is a this is a learning environment. Uh, it's going to give them a significant amount of leadership insight, and it, it enables them to be truly effective leaders down the down the line, so that your organization can look at these folks. You can look at your culture and say, "Wow, this is this is an this is an amazing thing that it creates, and it makes everybody believe in." Uh, you know, the brand of what the organization stands Ron, for. Ron, real quick, how do people contact you? So you can go on the website to uh, gethengroup.com or you can email us at info at gethengroup.com and uh, we would get immediately back with you. Hey, Ron, when you talk, you talk with a sense of purpose and a sense of urgency and it's just amazing what you're doing. I think it's amazing. I, I wish you the best of luck. I mean, I want you to come back on the show often. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Thanks a lot, I, George. I really appreciate it. And you know, you, you've got an amazing guest list that I've seen. And you guys just put on an amazing show. And, and I appreciate the time from all you folks there. And thank you so much for the sacrifices that you and your family have made for all of us. Thank you so much. Thank you.
All right, folks, it's time to go. But before I, I roll out of here, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 